If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Good to be sharing God's Word with you again this morning. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 12. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this wonderful opportunity that we have, Lord, to look into your word and to be fed by it. Heavenly Father, we pray that our hearts would be ready to receive it, that your spirit would be our teacher this morning, and that the one who is lifted up is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful salvation which we share and the wonderful blessings we have as a result. Lord, we just ask this morning that uh, indeed that you'd be glorified through us, your children, as we seek to learn more of you and to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have been looking... Over the past few weeks at this, uh, this term called sanctification. And <clears throat> we've focused on this particular passage in Hebrew, starting from verse 12 and finishing at verse 17. And we've already covered a few of these verses. In other words, we've started with a definition of sanctification. And sanctification was basically a setting apart to God. That God has separated us from the world to himself. And we looked at how Jesus went outside the camp. In other words, he was rejected by this world in order that he might save us by the shedding of his own blood. And there is a call to each person who has been sanctified, who has been set apart and saved, to follow Jesus outside of this world, to forsake this world, to understand that it's not our eternal place, that it's only temporary, and that this is not how it's meant to be. That God is preparing for us a city, a wonderful city, a place that will be our eternal abode, our eternal home, where we will be with our Lord and our Saviour who gave himself for us. And today we are looking or focusing on verse 15, which says, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. In our, in our endeavour to find out how this eternal sanctification should affect us today, we've reached a stage now where this sanctification should express itself in praise, should express itself in thanksgiving. Indeed, we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? When we approach Christmas time and we get together with families and you might reflect on, and, and, um, on, on the year and that's just wonderful to know what we have. And sometimes 
And I know a number of us have actually had difficult years. It hasn't been the easiest year, 2011, for a lot of, a lot of people. But even though we may have struggles and trials, and we may go through suffering, when we compare it to what we have, when we compare our trials and tribulations and problems to what we actually have, it doesn't compare. What we have is far greater than what burdens us. We have much to be thankful for. I won't begin with the list because we can be here all morning just speaking about the things that we should be thankful for. But let's start with the definition of praise because one of the things that a sanctified person or life should reflect or should do is praise God. But what is praise? Well, if you go to a a dictionary definition, the meaning of the word praise means to commend, to applaud, to express approbation of personal worth and actions. In other words, to, to say this is something that's worthy to be recognised. To extol in words or song. To magnify, to glorify on account of perfections or excellent works. To express gratitude for personal favours. To do honour to. To display the excellency of. That's a wonderful... Um, Definitions. There's a whole range of them. But you know something? They all fit with God. They All of those different, there were four separate ones there, they all fit with our reference to God. When we praise God, all those definitions work well. To offer praise means to verbally express your appreciation of the gift and the giver. To extol the perfections of God. To offer gratitude for His grace and to honour Him for it. To praise God is to really make a public declaration of your appreciation of who God is and what he's done. That's a nice definition, isn't it? It's a public declaration. It's something that proceeds from your mouth. Now, what about sacrifice? Because it does say there in verse 15 that God wants to offer a sacrifice of praise. Well, most of us don't associate praise with sacrifice. I mean, if you look at the Old Testament... The Old Testament had a system of animal and grain sacrifices that was central to the religious life of the Jew. In the law of Moses, and we find this especially in the book of Leviticus, God laid out for his people, Israel, the details of a sacrificial system that was meant to be at the core, the very centre of their whole religious life. But you know something? When Jesus died on that cross... He made the perfect sacrifice which made all those other sacrifices obsolete. No need for them anymore. No need to sacrifice sacrifice bulls, goats, lambs, rams, um, doves, grain. No need to sacrifice those things anymore. Because Jesus did it once for all. He completed all those things. He fulfilled all of them. No more sacrifice for sins is needed. Jesus paid it all. But there is still a sacrifice to be offered to the Lord today. And that's what we find in this particular verse. What can we sacrifice? Well, the sacrifice God wants us to give him is our praise and our thanksgiving. The fruit God desires is the fruit of these lips. 
to bear witness to Him and to those around us, to give Him the glory, the honour and thanks to His name. And this sacrifice of praise is to be in our hearts and on our lips continually in all circumstances, believe it or not. And we don't offer praise or the sacrifice of praise in order to achieve something. We don't give God the uh, the offer of our sacrifice of praise in order to gain his approval, to win our salvation. No, Jesus has already completed that on the cross. It only took our trust in him to receive that. We offer our sacrifices of praise not in order to gain God's favour, but to thank him for his favour. Not to achieve his favour, not to, not to receive it, but to thank him already for it. To thank him for his goodness. To praise him for who he is. We praise him because of his worth-ship. So we get our name worship from. It's he is worthy. Not always easy to praise though, is it? There are some times in our lives when it's a bit difficult to praise. To shout out and say, God, how wonderful you are. All the wonderful things you've given me. You know, maybe this last year has been a difficult one for you. Maybe there are dark clouds over you at the moment. Maybe there are things that you just don't understand. And God is saying, persist, continue, be faithful. But in the midst of trials and darkness, difficult sometimes to, to give praise. Yeah, when everything's great, it's easy to give praise, isn't it? It's more difficult to give praise when we are struggling. Even so... The Bible says we are to praise God continually. With the, with the, and, that's, and that's probably, yes it's for him, but it probably, probably benefits us as much. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to look at an example of praise. Matthew twenty one fourteen says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And he said unto them, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read... Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Jesus had just cured people who were blind, crippled. An interesting thing is that children were actually praising and and declaring that he was the saviour. He was the Messiah. And they were praising God for the wonderful works that were being done. They openly were praising Jesus and calling him the son of David. Children praising it's a little bit different to the adults praising, isn't it? Children don't seem to have as much baggage as adults. You know, when you're a kid, you know, when you open up that present for Christmas and you go, yay! Adults don't tend to do that very much. 
They've got a few extra boundaries that they've set for themselves. They don't want to make themselves look foolish in front of everyone else. But children don't have those inhibitions. They also don't have the baggage from the terms of the problems that we have as adults as we grow up. We often worry about not just making fools of ourselves, but often putting other people, or giving other people or God too much of the limelight. Because if I give other people or God too much of the limelight, too much praise, then who loses out? Me. As people get older, they slowly forget to praise others and praise God. Because they feel as if they're going to lose something of the whole, uh, of the benefit. I'll explain to you what I mean. Let's say you were at work, you work for a boss, and you were preparing for a particular event or project that was uh, being done, and you spent an enormous amount of work in this thing. You put your whole heart into it, consumed hours of effort, and you were very creative about what you did. And then it came time for this event or this project to culminate and there are hundreds of people there who were there and, uh, and, and, and the boss gets up at the, at the front and he starts to say how wonderful the whole thing's gone. A bit like tonight. Yeah, a lot of people have put a lot of effort into it. But after all your effort, imagine if uh, the boss at the end of the day thanks I'd like to thank a few people for all the effort they've put into this thing. I want to thank Joe, Mary and, uh, and Bob. And think to yourself, hang on, my name wasn't mentioned in there. How does that make you feel? Doesn't make you feel good, does it? That other people get the praise and the limelight when you deserve some of it as well. We like praise. It's natural to want to be praised. When we do something good, adults and children, do you not want to be praised? But the question is, not how much praise we receive, because that comes natural to want praise. How much praise do you give? How much time do you spend praising other people around you and God openly? And the focus is always on God. But the question is, what sort of a heart do you have? Is it a heart of praise? Or is it a heart that holds back praise? Do you openly show your appreciation and thanks for people? Do you spend much time doing that? Or more importantly, how much true praise do you offer to God himself? Yeah, it's when we're all sitting down in our seats or standing up with our hymn books and praising God, that's easy. Everyone's doing it the same way, singing the same tune. It's easy to sing along, isn't it? But how much effort do we uh, expel or, or spend Praising God in our daily lives. How much thanks do you give for God to the people around you who aren't here? How much appreciation do you show to our Lord in front of other people, in front of the world? That's a different kettle of fish, isn't it? 
Because if I start thanking God for all the things in my life in front of other people, they might say, oh, what's he thanking God for there? If children can do it, why do adults, adults find it so hard? Adults seem to find it easy to praise children, don't they? Because you get immediate gratification. You praise a child, and there's a big smile on the face. You know you've actually achieved something. But when you praise God, you don't see the smile on his face, do you? When you praise other people, they might not necessarily receive that, that appreciation and show you, oh, thank you for that. I, they don't necessarily do that all the time. It's easy to praise children. Turn to John chapter 12 for me for a moment. John chapter 12 verse 42 and 43 says this. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? Now we know that people do things oftentimes because they want to receive that recognition. They want to be in the limelight. Men's hearts aren't all that altruistic. They're not all that pure when they do good works in front of other people. There's, a, there's often a motive behind it. They want to get something in return, whether it's recognition or praise or something along those lines. But here the Bible says that men loved to men loved to receive the praise of men, even those who, who believed in Jesus. They believed him. They were just scared to confess him because they wanted the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's a, that brings up an interesting point. God praises men. God praises men. Did you think of that? Scripture teaches that God praises his children. Parents, do you like to praise your children when they do something good? I think you do. Did you know God praises his children? But the focus isn't on the praise of God toward his children. The focus here really is, what are you seeking? Where's your heart? Is your heart... To seek and serve men that you might receive the praises of men? Or is your heart to seek and serve God? Simply because he is God. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 100. Look at some aspects of praise. Psalm 100, verse 1. It's only five verses in this one. It's a nice, very compact, but very very full. A psalm of praise. You have that? Psalm 100. A psalm of praise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. 
Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. Amen. It's a beautiful psalm. Let's look at a few aspects of praise. Let's look at, let's look at first of all, who is called to praise? Who is it that's called to praise in this particular psalm? In verse 1, it tells us, All ye lands. All ye lands. That's a pretty wide and general sort of uh, view, isn't it? That I meant to praise God? I thought it was only us Christians that were going to be praising God. But the call is for the whole earth to praise Him. And this was God's call to Israel from the beginning. This was their purpose. Their purpose, even, their own, even in the, their own writings was to preach the gospel, was to share the knowledge of God and his word with the whole world, that the whole world might be filled with the knowledge of God, that the whole world might praise him. How do they do with that, with that job? Too good. How are we doing with that job? Who's called to praise him? In verse 3 it says... That we, his people, are called to praise him. We, his people. Specifically, there is a call to his people, we're called by his name, to praise him. In verse 5, it also says that all generations have been reached by his enduring mercy. Therefore, time and generations have no barrier to this praise. In other words, every generation throughout all of history are meant to praise God. And whether you are living on this planet and you, or you are his child, you are meant to praise him. I'll give you a few more references. Psalm 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Who's meant to praise him? Not just the earth, but the angels as well. Psalm 30 verse 4 says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. God calls his saints to worship him. Psalm 148.12 says, says, Both young men and maidens, old men and children. Doesn't matter what sex you are, doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, God calls you to worship him. Finally, Psalm 150 verse 6, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. There are no limits to who is meant to praise the Lord. If you have breath in your lungs, then you are called to praise him. Next question. How is a person to praise God? How? I think it's a good question, isn't it? Do we stand on our heads? Are we called to do some weird, wonderful things? Well, if you look at this passage, it tells us a number of things. In verse 1 it says, To praise the Lord with a joyful noise. Can you praise God with a mourning, a noise of mourning? No, because, because praise naturally comes with joy. It says that we are to do it with gladness, with singing, by entering into his presence with thanksgiving. That's what this passage says. So let's, we need to do it with a joyful heart. We have good reason to be thankful, to be joyful, to be glad. We have good reason to come into his presence. I'll give you a few more scripture verses. 
Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. We are to bless the Lord with all of our being. From our soul, we are to bless him. Psalm 9, verse 1 says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvellous works. We are to praise God, not just with our souls, with our heart, fully with our hearts. Psalm 63, verse 5 says, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. We are to praise with much joy. Psalm 71 verse 6 says, By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. So how we had to praise? Continually. And that's also emphasised in the, the verse in Hebrews. Always. Continually means no stop. It should come naturally to us, not just on a Sunday morning. And finally, Psalm 104, verse 33 says, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Praise comes from our entire being at all times for our whole lives. Now, why are we called to praise the Lord? Why? Well, Scripture says, because of who he is. In verse 3 of Psalm 100 it says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Is there a good reason to praise him? Because of simply of who he, because of who he is. The next one is because he hath made us. He is our creator. He has given us everything that we have that is good in this world. It's a good reason to praise him. Another reason is that we are his people. God has redeemed us and saved us. That is also another good reason to praise him. And then look at verse 5. We are given three important points about why to praise God. One, he is good. God is good. So therefore he is worthy to be praised. Two, his mercy is everlasting. And three, his truth endures throughout all generations. But I found in this a particular point that I want to emphasise a bit more. And it's in, found in verse 3. It says not only we are his people, but that we are the sheep of his pasture. We are the sheep of his pasture. Turn to Psalm 23, just for a moment. Because if we are the sheep of his pasture, then he is our shepherd. And what does a shepherd do for the sheep? Now, as we read this, this six verses, just keep in mind, this is speaking about our Lord. And think about in the context of reasons to praise him. Okay, A psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God provides everything we need. Verse 2, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. God gives us rest. God gives us plenty. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Verse 3, he restoreth my soul. God redeemed his people. 
God restored our souls which were corrupted and which were destined for hell. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God teaches us his truth to be holy. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We have no reason to fear because he protects us. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God is a comfort to us. In the midst of our problems and our trials and tribulations, God's presence is a comfort to us. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Enough, have you got enough reasons to worship and praise God this morning? Just that, just that small passage alone gives us an enormous amount. Let me give you a few more. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, for his greatness is unsearchable. We praise God because he is great. Exodus 15.11 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, is doing wonders? God is holy. God is separate from everything in creation. He is pure, unadulterated. He is the perfect one. Good reason to worship him and praise him for that. Daniel 2 verse 20 says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. God is wise. His wisdom is worthy of praise. Psalm 21.13 says, Be thou exalted, O Lord, in thine own strength. So will we sing and praise thy power. God is powerful beyond our imagination. God's power is something we cannot fathom. We can't fathom the power of a storm. Last night, if you, if you, for those of you who are awake, there was a fair bit of lightning and, and, and thunder. Some people opened their blinds to see the lightning, which is all good. I like to keep them closed. So I was telling Angela this morning, even with the even with the curtains closed, whenever the, it must have been fairly close, when the lightning went off, the room was still light up. So that was pretty good. But we can't fathom the power unleashed in a storm, in a small pocket of this earth, in the middle of this huge cosmos, and God created the whole thing with a word. That's power. That's worthy to be praised. Psalm 138.2 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness, for thy truth. God loves us. That's worthy of praise. And God showed his love by sending his only son for us. That's worthy. That's, that's a good reason to praise him. So, uh, Isaiah 25.1 says, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels are old Faithfulness and truth. God is faithful and true. Whatever promise God has made to you and me this morning, he will definitely see through. He will definitely fulfill. That's another reason to praise God. Luke one sixty eight says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. God has saved us. That is something we'll be singing about for the rest of eternity. Because it was something we never deserved. And we still don't. 
There is nothing in me that now deserves to be saved more than what I was before I was saved. Nothing good in me. Paul says there is nothing good in me. And I repeat those words. Because the only thing good in me is Christ in me. That's plenty to be praiseworthy for. And finally, Psalm 152 says, Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. God has done some wonderful works. If we simply look up in the sky, if we simply look around us, if we see the way he works in our lives, if we see the way he's worked in this church, if we continue to look and be observant around us and about us and within us, you will notice and have plenty of reasons to praise God because he continues to work within his people and around his people and through his people. And this is the whole point. That true praise comes from within, from deep within our hearts. It comes from an overflow of appreciation, thanksgiving, love and simple awe of who God is. That's where true praise comes from. One thing that we should be interested in here in, in this church is the cultivation of hearts that stand in awe of God. When we look at all of those things that we've just listed, are not all of those each point beyond our comprehension? How can I comprehend the love of God for me? It will take me the rest of eternity to appreciate the love that he's shown me. How can I appreciate God's power, his wisdom, his faithfulness? We can spend the rest of eternity thanking him and praising him for his wonderful attributes. We will never truly grasp them. Yes, our church should be a place where the awe of God is cultivated. And a proper view of God leads one to naturally praise him. If you understand who God is, if you begin to get a glimpse of who God is and what he's done, you can't help but praise him. Meditating on the character and the attributes of our Lord should be a staple diet for us. It shouldn't be something which we do separately every now and then. Meditating on who God is and what he's done for us should be food, our basic food that we should live on. When our view of God falters, our praise of God falters. Our worship of God is lowered. This is why churches don't worship God properly. Yeah, there may be a whole lot of dancing and... and, and uh, and singing and doing whatever. But true praise is not just when you come to church on a Sunday morning. True praise exists and should exist throughout the whole week. And it's determined by your view of God. Thus, we should always seek to have these things, right? We should always seek to have a heart that is amazed by the grace of God. If you're not amazed by the grace of God this morning... You're missing something very important. God's grace is absolutely amazing. It's something we should, we should be digging into deeper and deeper all the time. We should have a mind that is gripped by the truth of God to appreciate God's truth. His eternal word should be something that we praise him for. 
We should have a sense of right and wrong permeated by the justice of God. When we understand the justice and the love of God, then we can truly be people who are of justice and love. We should have faith that rests in the power of God. We should have an imagination that is guided by the beauty of God. There is no greater source of inspiration. There is no greater source of creativity than God himself. God created everything. He is the ultimate source of creativity. And that's when we look at God's beauty and who he is, it should be an ultimate source for us and our imagination. Our lives should be grounded by the sovereignty of God. Make no mistake, God is fully sovereign. He is fully free to make whatever choices he deems he has to make and wants to make. Nothing goes outside of his purpose. We aren't fully free because we're restricted by our mortal bodies, our mortal minds and our circumstances. God is, has no restrictions on him whatsoever other than the restrictions that he places on himself and his own character. And finally, our hope should be filled with the glory of God. In order to, to be a Christian that's growing and maturing, a person must be growing in their appreciation of who God is. A person must be growing in their awe of God. The more you dig, the more you read God's word, the more you should be appreciating who God is and who Christ is. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 5, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified. You know something? If the Bible says that a man should tremble at the word of God, how about the one who wrote that word? How about the author of that word? To stand in God's presence should make us tremble with reverence for him. Proper reverence of God naturally leads us to praise and thanksgiving. And finally, fruit. It says in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 13 that the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You know, fruit is something that naturally grows when sap is thrown, flowing through the trees, is it not? If it's a fruit tree and the sap is flowing and it's got water and it's got sunshine, it nat- the fruit naturally appears. It's a natural part of a tree's being, whole being. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know the danger that we have as a church is that when we sing a hymn, yeah, it might sound great, the voice might be beautiful, but why are we doing it? Are we doing it because we simply do it on a Sunday morning? We simply sing hymns on a Sunday morning. Is it a duty that you're just performing? Is it something that you enjoy just for yourself because you love to sing hymns? Is it done by rote? Do we have hymns just to fill in a bit of time to make sure the service is you know, balanced? This is not what Hebrews is commanding us. 
That is the work of lips, not the fruit of lips. The work of our lips are, are what you find in the Catholic Church, and I've been there, done that. I've seen the way they sing their hymns. I see that there's no life in them. I've seen it in other churches as well. I see there's no truth in it. There is, that doesn't come from the heart. It's something that's just done. We have to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap. The fruit of our lips should be something that naturally grows from our heart. When you sing a hymn, do you sing it from your heart? Do you think about the actual words? You know, when I, when I read some of those words in those hymns, they're actually quite scary. Some of the commitments, some of the, some of the oaths that are made in those hymns that we sing, ever thought about it? Spend some time thinking about what, what you're singing. And you'll find, you'll find that you're making some huge, huge commitments to God through them. Just because we sing them doesn't mean they are any less than if we just speak them. The Bible teaches in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. That's what the whole thing's about. When we praise God, whether it's here, whether it's out there, it should be coming from our heart. Anything less it is, is a disservice to God. But it does say lips, doesn't it? It does say lips. It says that God wants the fruit of our lips. Not just our hearts. Not just our thoughts. God wants to pronounce his praise publicly. He wants us to speak his praise. Lips that speak and sing. Real sounds, real words. And the verse says that God wants them continually. One of the reasons that many Christians lead such weak and unhappy and ineffective lives is that this exhortation is neglected. We don't spend enough time praising God. We don't. Ask yourself this morning, does the praise of God continually flow from your lips? And I don't mean every, every word that's said, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I don't, I'm not talking about that sort of stuff. I'm talking about is every word that comes from your lips a praise to God? Whether you speak it at work, at home, with your friends, wherever. Are your lips, are your words praising God by the things that you say? Many of us would probably say no. Most of us live in a level of praise that's well below what this text is asking us for. But God wouldn't have said to us to praise him continually if it wasn't possible or if it wasn't good for us. God isn't like that. God wants us to praise him continually because we can, we should, and it's good for us. If we don't, we disobey scripture. God wants our hearts to be completely his, especially when we're together. This is why Sunday morning worship is so important. When people complain they have problems in their life but don't come to church on a Sunday morning, who's to blame? 
Who is to blame for their circumstances and their, their inability to get themselves out of that circumstance? Or to not see a way out? Sunday morning worship is utterly vital for a Christian's life. It should be profoundly Christ-centred. Christ should be the centre of our praise. Through him we should be praising God. Why? Because these praises are a sacrifice to God. We gather here not just to meet each other and to have a great time together and to sing well together. We come here to meet God as a family. We come here because when we come together, we are presenting ourselves together to God. We present ourselves before his throne as his children. That's what makes this so important. The hymns are a sacrifice of our lips to God. The sermon, this sermon is a sacrifice of these lips to God. Our whole orientation, the reason we get together on a Sunday morning is because we want to praise God and worship Him for what He's done. Hymn singing is not just a great time to recite verses, enjoy melodies. It should be a truly, truly a time when we express our hearts to God. And you know something? If when you read a verse in a hymn that you don't mean, what should you do? Any suggestions? If you don't mean the verse you're singing in the hymn, should you sing it or shouldn't you? You don't sing it. Otherwise you make yourself a liar. God doesn't want our words. And that's the whole point of when the Lord says, these people honour me with their lips but their hearts far from me. It's easy to recite words. It's more difficult to keep the words. Close with an encouragement. The words at the beginning of verse 15 say, By him we had to offer this praise, this sacrifice of praise. All Christian worship is by Jesus. Why is this crucial? Because we're sinners saved by grace. And it's only through him. We have no access to God except through him. And it's because of verse 12 where Jesus says, where it says, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. What are we sanctified for? What are we sanctified to? We're sanctified to him. This morning, Jesus is giving an invitation. He invites those who aren't saved to be saved, to come by him to God the Father, to come by him and accept the sacrifice that was made that they might Render praise to God. That's, that's due to God. And for those of us who are already being saved, remember, our circumstances should never determine our relationship to God. Your circumstances, the things that are, that are happening around you, should not determine your relationship to God. Even though things may be bad, or may look bad, remember all the great things we have to be thankful for. God bless you. Thank you.